This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 92 of the Travel Writing World podcast. Joining me today is Mary Novakovich, and we're talking about her new book, My Family and Other Enemies, Life and Travels in Croatia's Hinterland. In this episode, we talk about a rustic region in Croatia called Lika, where her family is from, and its appeal to tourists. We also talk a little bit about travel literature about Croatia and her experiences finding a publisher. Anyway, before we start the episode today, just a note to say, please tell your friends about the podcast, leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app or whichever podcasting app you use, and support the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. And to stay up to date with travel, nature, and place writing news, join the hundreds of other subscribers and sign up for Genius Loci my free monthly email roundup of news and links at jeremybassetti.com. That's with two S's and two T's. A new roundup goes out on the first of the month. So now, here is Mary Novakovich. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So you've written a part travelogue, part memoir. It's called... My Family and Other Enemies, Life and Travels in Croatia's Hinterland. It comes out on Brat this August in 2022. So um, if I'm reading this right, you're, you're ethnically Serbian, right? And your parents are Serbs from an area in Croatia known as Lika. Can you, That's uh, right. can you unpack that <laughs> a bit? Like, <laughs> we have the time. <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Uh, Lika is is a region that's um, uh, close to the Bosnian border in um, in eastern sort of southeastern uh, Croatia, uh, north of North Dalmatia, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was always used as a buffer zone between the Habsburg and the Ottoman empires. And for several centuries now, it's been uh, populated by people who are fleeing the Ottoman. Um, uh, other uh, other Ottoman regions of what was Yugoslavia or what it wasn't then, and so my my family originally would have been I think they actually came from Montenegro we're not entirely sure, hmm. and then made their way up into Bosnia. It's just every few centuries as those migrations only more recently in more recent times, and and they ended up in in Lika and uh, I think around sometime in the nineteenth century, maybe even earlier. Not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that whole region is full of ethnic groups that have had to that there had been refugees in, in, at some point in the history they had to migrate and uh, so you'll find you'll find Croats in Serbia you find Serbs in Croatia you find Montenegrins everywhere you find Bosnians everywhere um, Slovenians not as much they're pretty much in their own in their own uh, now country and um, but that's just the whole nature of the region just with all the all the turbulence over so many centuries and and constant fighting and 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 uh, and power grabbing, you know, the Habsburgs taking over certain lands and the, the Ottoman taking over certain lands. Mm-hmm. So people, um, different ethnic groups are living in this territory that had, you know, these kind of political issues for, for many years. And most recently, 
um, like Slovenia, Slovenia and Croatia and Bosnia and uh, Serbia and Montenegro, I believe, were all part of the former Yugoslavia. And when that was torn apart, you had different ethnic groups living in countries that maybe sound weird. So you're like ethnically Serbs, but you don't live in Serbia. You live in this yeah. portion of Croatia or you come from this. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. So you've also found, you'll find uh, Kosovo Albanians in, in North Macedonia, for example. Right. Um, and you'll find uh, ethnic Serbs in Bosnia and Croats. And, and uh, so, yeah, so you'll find pockets of all these different ethnic groups all around the former Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me uh, about Lika uh, geographically and um, I guess uh, politically and, and, and uh, culturally? Well, <laughs> that's another, an awful lot to, to talk about there. Another big one. It's very sparsely populated. It's, um, it's very, very rural. The, the largest town, the, the, the county seat is called Gospeach, and there's only about 6,500 people who live there. Um, it's, it's a very wild landscape. It's very, it's all limestone. It's cast, you know, it's that, that, uh, it's covered in forests and, and, and loads of rivers and lakes. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's not quite untamed, but it, it's quite unknown mm -hmm. because it's, it's a large area. As I said, it, it sort of, it starts if you, if you, um, go to Pleetpizza Lakes National Park, which is pretty much the only part of Lika that people know about, uh, and then just sort of go slightly north and then east to Bosnia and then south on the way to, uh, to Kanin and then, and then carry on close to the Velebit mountains. And that's, that's that sort of bleaker roughly. And, uh, but th there isn't a lot there apart from nature. Mm. And so that would be the, the, the draw, I guess. Um, I, I, you know, we, we, we hear about Croatia, like the, you know, Zagreb and, um, you know, split and, um, Dubrovnik, you know, Dubrovnik and, and, you know, these other kind of cities that get the attention and they're beautiful cities by, I've never been there, but according to the pictures, they look beautiful. They look kind of like mid, you know, they have that kind of vibe that would attract Americans and other, um, visitors there. Um, and so Lika would be kind of the, the place where people would go to get away from city life to, to absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, that's exactly what you would do because it, it is very, very, it's very rustic, and uh, and apart from that, there are a few a few small towns, and um, but it's it really is it is it is just nature that you really want to you want to embrace, and uh, and it's one of those things where it's slowly getting uh, the the tourist um, tourism infrastructure has been building very very slowly because obviously it it was the um, it was you know, quite torn apart during the the nineties war, and a lot of rebuilding, a lot of uh, People, new people coming in, a lot of people had left. But what they've been really focusing on is adventure tourism, nature tourism. You have a lot of places because it's just full of beautiful rivers. Um, people are kayaking, rafting all the time, swimming, um, hiking. That's becoming, that's getting more uh, common now, cycling and lots of campsites. And because you've got so much space, it's, it's quite a large area. And uh, as I said, it's just all these little scattered villages and hamlets and, uh, and ones that had been, had been abandoned uh, even before the war, just because, you know, they, they were tiny places. And, uh, and it's, it's that, that is pretty much, I can't even think of anything that's vaguely um, urban about it. Yeah. <laughs> as I said, the largest town is, you know, uh, has got six and a half thousand people. Right. Yeah. So your family is, is from there. And I know when, 
when I go visit my family, you know, I'm focused on the family and not necessarily on doing other things than being with the family. But do you have any, like, what, what memories do you have, um, going there as a child, your first visit, I think you were 11 or something you said in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, yes. what, what memories do you have? That was a culture shock. I yeah. say it really was a culture shock because I was um, I was a, a, a city kid and I was in the middle of this mountain village where there was it was really really rough and ready. My aunt and uncle they had the only house for miles around that actually had an indoor toilet, which was quite something. So when I went, went to visit other people, I had to I was confronted with these things called earth closets and outhouses and like, and, uh, and also because the, the, because the landscape is just so empty and so beautiful and, and I mean, mountains absolutely everywhere mm. covered in forests and, 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 and so lakes and rivers. And it was almost too daunting to begin with. And, and it took me a while to acclimatize myself to having all of this space around me. And, uh, and it was all, you know, very, very primitive. I, I didn't, I wouldn't drink the milk because I had to go down to the farm um, that my aunt sent me to up the lane to come back with two, you know, steaming jugs of milk fresh from the cow. Mm-hmm. And she would then boil it and skim it and let it cool down. And I would not drink it. It was just too, too earthy. It was just too, too strong a taste. You know, most kids grow up in, in having, you know, semi-skimmed milk and, and you, but you buy in the grocery store. And whereas I just, so I forced my poor uncle then had to go to the shops and, and buy, okay. you know, <laughs> the spoiled princess, right, you know, right. proper, proper milk, as I called it. I can't drink that stuff. So I and just little things like that. But eventually um, things like the, the night sky, I mean, Lika isn't designated as a dark sky region, but it really should be because you just have the, the stars and, and just the sheer openness of, of, the, of the region and, and just everything, you know, clean, beautiful, clean air. And, um, and I, I did eventually become acclimatized and, and then fell in love with it. And I hadn't fallen out of love with it. Mm. Yeah. When we have, when we think about Europe, you know, we think about, you know, there are very few kind of r- truly wild spaces in, in Europe. It's been, so of course there are pockets here and there, but mm. not, not, not like we have it here in the United States, right? In the, Amer- in the West, we have these like truly kind of wild, wild spaces, but it sounds like what you're describing there is approaching this idea of, uh, you know, a wild kind of, un- I hate to use this term, but like a wild untamed space, you know, a space where, you know, people can live, um, as you mentioned, rustically, but also kind of out of touch from globalizing forces for, for better or worse. Well, yes, yes, and no, yes, and no. I mean, during during the the Yugoslav years, um, a lot of there were there were a lot of there was a lot of industry in the area, as in like you know small scale factories, because that's that you know the the the, the, the communist um, economy was all bit um, geared towards having um, a lot of you know everybody was employment. Uh, there were particularly great jobs, but they, everybody was, and uh, so there, there was a lot of that. But unfortunately, when when everything collapsed in Yugoslavia, all the that industry collapsed too. Mm. So it it did used to be a lot more, I mean, relatively more sophisticated, um, and uh, and then it's been, as I said, been you know picking itself up and getting different types of industry, different types of investments since then. So the, it, it, there there are lots of lots of areas where it is not really untamed, but I think just undomesticated. It hasn't hasn't been farmed. Mm-hmm. A lot of land that's been abandoned uh, is being covered in forest. Because no one's, you haven't got um, um, livestock keeping, you know, keeping the, uh, eating all the grass and and uh, and meadows and plant. You haven't got pastures 
and and that's made a huge difference to the landscape um, because you just haven't got people and animals living in them. Mm. So you cover the, the the region in your journalism, and um, you know I'm, I'm sure that you hear some kind of misconceptions or um, stereotypes or reservations about about the region and its people, perhaps because it is so rural or um, undomesticated. Uh, do, you, do you encounter any of these misconceptions? Um, well, among the general reader, no, because they don't know anything about Lika. So they haven't, they yeah, haven't yeah. got any, anything in mind about it. Uh, if you mention Croatia, generally people go, oh, I love Croatia. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Right. And that's always been a, a very positive reaction. And, uh, and then within, within the former Yugoslavia, uh, because the people of Lika, they were always, when they were in that, that buffer zone back in the, in the 19th century and 18th century fighting the, fighting the Turks, um, they were known as you know, very, very strong, very stubborn people. And, uh, and then, of course, the, I don't want to get too deep into the whole um, politics of the 90s and the 90s war, but, uh, but unfortunately, you know, it, it's, that was where everything kicked off in 1991. Um, but uh, a lot of people, they still have a lot of um, sort of affection for, for Lika because it's, it was always this, this region where it was full of very strong, strong-minded people and uh, too strong at times. <laughs> so... <laughs> We read about the region uh, a lot in, in, in travel literature, of, co- of course, in the glossies. And I think some of those coastal cities we mentioned earlier take a bulk of the, the attention. But the, in, in general, the region is uh, getting a lot of attention in, in travel literature uh, more broadly. I think Robert Kaplan has a new book coming out called Adriatic, where he returns to, to the area um, and your own book. Um, what, what travel books about the region broadly, uh, do you keep on coming back to uh, that, that you like to, you know, that, that inspire you, that influenced you in some way? Well, there aren't any really. No? Um, <laughs> there really, um, there's, there's, I, I, when I was, when I was doing some research, there's plenty of books, well, not cheap, not that many, but a few books um, that uh, explain the history of, 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 of Croatia and, and the ex-Yugoslavia. But as far as travel books, I mean, Rebecca West, right. you know, back in, in, you know, with uh, Black Lamb and, and Grey Falcon, and, uh, but she didn't really go into Lika. She was mm-hmm. in all the other parts of, of, of um, you know, Korea, different parts of Croatia and Bosnia and um, Kosovo and, and uh, Serbia and, and, and Macedonia, but um, not really Lika. But then obviously I've read that book many times because you have to. It's, right. it's, it's, it's such a, a seminal work. Um, and, um, but other people more recently, I mean, for example, Nick Hunt, mm-hmm. when he did his book, um, Where the Wild Winds Are, and one of the chapters was in, uh, in Croatia, chasing the, uh, the Buda wind. And it was very close. In fact, I was hiking in the place that he was in, in, in the Velebit Mountains. And, uh, and that sort of is the very southern stretch of, of Lika, That's in, in the new version of the Lika Senyuk County, they called it. And um, and it was interesting, you know, his his his, uh, his, his experiences there. And um, but I haven't really come across any other travel books mm. in, in about Lika. Other parts of Croatia, a little bit, but not not many really. Um, it's it's still quite an untouched, untapped market, I think. Oh. So writers sharpen your pencils, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
quite possibly, but I think it's, it's if, uh, if, uh, if, uh, there was one book I, met, I think I found, I haven't had a chance to read it, but it was something, something like Under the Croatian Sun. It was about, I think, an American being married to um, someone with Croatian heritage and said, let's buy a house in Croatia and do it up. So they've done exactly what, you know, Peter Mayle did in Provence and, right. <laughs> and, and that sort of thing. But I wouldn't regard that as a, as a traditional travel book. Right. Why, just by the way, why, why wouldn't you consider that a traditional travel book? Well, because it's, 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 uh, I mean, the, the, the travel writing genre is enormous, obviously, you know, Peter Mayle, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, um, that it gives you insights into people finding a new life in a country and, 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 you know, building a house and all that sort of thing. Um, but, um, it's, it's just, it is another type of travel book, but I, it's not something that I would have read as research from what I'm doing because it doesn't, again, it, it it's, again, I think it was somewhere on the coast. It, it was, it was, in a um, in a very accessible region, and uh, so it's 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 but but they're really they're, I can't I've been trying to find more travel writing. There have been books um, um, anthologies about travel writing in the whole Balkans region, and and you'll find a few that of um, people who who travelled in the region, like Edward Lear, for example, um, going back uh, you know quite a quite a long time, mm-hmm. and. There are there yes there, there's not you know there aren't many there aren't many of that at all. Hard yeah. to think of many. Yeah, that that book about the Croatian sun also reminds me, of course, Peter Mail, but um, Chris Stewart in his book about uh, uh, mm. moving to southern Spain and trying to buy a house in the mountains. <laughs> and, you know, it's, yeah, it's not a kind of a serious book. It's um, you know, funny. It's that kind of book. It sounds like, um, but you know, that, now now that we're on the topic, uh, you know, your book. I, at the beginning, I mentioned that it was part memoir and, and part travelogue, and um, now we're kind of like talking about the genre thing. Um, how do you see your book? How, how do you? What do you think about these these terms or or genres in, in terms of um, travel literature? Well, it's um, it's 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 interesting because some some travel books that are sensibly travel are like eighty percent memoir. And, uh, and other ones, I think mine is, is I am actually traveling in the region mm-hmm. and, and a lot of, you know, some chapters I, I, I start off in, in Sarajevo, for example, and then travel through Bosnia to get to Lika, or I'm in Slovenia and I travel to, you know, through down to get to, to Lika or from Hungary or from Belgrade. Um, so there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of travel within there, but because I, the whole book chronicles more than 40 years of traveling to Lika specifically, um, the, the memoir obviously is a, the first. The first chapter was was when I was there at the age of eleven, mm-hmm. and since then I've been writing about each subsequent visit, and uh, different different periods in my history and Lika's history. Because when I go back in two thousand and four, which was the first time after I'd been there in nineteen seventy six, it was extremely different. And and but again, I approached it with with both memoir because I was telling my each chapter I'd reveal more of my family's history. Because there's an awful lot of it, um, but it's interspersed with my own experiences there, either with my mother, I've travelled with a couple of times, uh, in the later chapters with my husband, and um, so we're both having our experiences and our reactions to to um, to what we're seeing, what we're doing, what we're eating, what we're drinking, um, who we're talking to, uh, where we're driving, and uh, and all the 
it encompasses all of the 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 tastes and the smells and and the and uh, and the and, the, and the, the landscapes and and everything that just makes that region what what it's so special it's so special to me mm-hmm. yeah and on, on one hand uh you know tra- a, a travelogue is a memoir about travel but uh, when we talk mm. about memoir um at, le- at least in the last 20 years or so like we have I, at least i do I, I have an idea in mind that like the book is I guess a little bit more vulnerable, or as you mentioned here, kind of deals with family history, family issues, often family trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your title, oh yes, suggests we have that. a lot of that in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that that makes sense though, and in, in terms of the memoir, um, to me, um, these are books that are really hard to sell lately. Um, how 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 did you manage to find a publisher? Well, it, 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 hard to sell to, to, to a certain extent, but then the, the stories I'm telling, because my, my parents are refugees, mm-hmm. and they came to Britain after the Second World War, and, and that's something that's extremely timely now. And, uh, and, and things like having, growing up with parents who, whose homeland, um, my father never went back to Yugoslavia after he left in 1944, and, and things like having, having no physical um, um, sort of um, objects from my parents' houses. You know, we ha- I have no heirlooms, such as they would have been. Mm. And I just have food, <laughs> which right. is which is one of the, the things that, that holds communities together. And you find that in every every other community, every other group of people that have to find themselves leaving forced to leave their own country to go somewhere else. And those those things that bind them are the, their traditions, their rituals, and much of it happens to revolve around food. So that was one thing that chimed um, and when, yes, it was a bit of a hard sell, and I was really glad that that brat managed to um, to take it on because I, you know, read it, read the submission, and and thought, yeah, this this is this is good. Oftentimes, when when writers talk about uh, pitching work, especially nonfiction, uh, they talk about the proposal, and uh, you know, they put together a proposal packet, and then they try to find an agent, and they shop it out. And I was wondering if if that's what you did in this instance, or did you basically do a draft of a manuscript and send that off to the publisher? Oh, no, I had an agent, um, luckily, and uh, who was absolutely brilliant. He's, um, he was very, very supportive. And we were, we were sort of bashing on ideas and, and, uh, when he agreed to take the book on and that's when I decided to turn it into, um, sort of my, all of, all of my travels in Mika over the past, whatever, 40, 40 odd years. And uh, so we were working together on, on the proposal. And, uh, and then I did the first couple of chapters. I did a prologue and, and then one chapter. And, uh, and then he had another publisher saying, you know, could we have another chapter? So that spurred me on to carry right. on writing, <laughs> writing the chapter. Because I, like, like many people in the past couple of years, I was writing it during lockdown. That's the shock. And, uh, and then when that, that, last, that third chapter was, was enough then with, with Bratch. And then so I had a really short window to... Um, to write it oh gosh. and that again you know it spurred me on very very quickly uh, four months to finish the rest of the book but wow. i had about twenty-seven thousand words i think at that point wow wow that uh, sounds uh sounds difficult uh, a timeline um for four months to crank out thousands it, it was it was but also i'm a journalist if i don't have a deadline i'm absolutely rubbish <laughs> I do, you know, you do need to be kicked hard. <laughs> if you say, oh, just, I'll do it at some point. And they say, no, you have to do it now. Great. Okay, fine. I'll do it. I'm fine with that. And, uh, and that's exactly what I needed. And, and it really spurred me on. It really clarified my thinking. 
and uh, and made me focus on what was really the important parts of the book and what what did need to be read and what, uh, what did need to be said and uh, and yes as i said you know if, if you're having the, the whip cracked or you're cracking your own whip and it does really spur yeah. you on it sounds like that uh, P- parkinson's law uh, have you heard that it's uh Work expands to fit the time allocated to me. <laughs> right. I'm a living embodiment of Parkinson's law. Give me a day to write a feature, I'll write. I'll take, take a whole day, even if I don't need to. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mary, uh, thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast to talk to me. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com support. <laughs>